You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week we will get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Well, I recently completed an epic once-in-a-lifetime adventure on my mountain bike with seven friends, and I wanted to tell you about it. The San Juan Hut System offers a variety of hut-to-hut backcountry tours, including hiking, backcountry skiing, and of course, biking. We chose the Telluride to Moab trip, which was a little over 200 miles, spread out over seven days and six nights, and utilized secondary dirt roads and single track. They provided multiple route options each day based on individual skills, which would get you to the next hut. The huts had no electricity or running water, but they provided shelter, beautiful views, and they were fully stocked with food. Today I'm going to give you the lowdown on the hut system, my bike, my gear, and my thoughts on each day. Be sure to check out SanJuanHuts.com for more information. First up, let's talk about the actual huts. So the San Juan Hut System has been around since 1987, and it was founded by a guy named Joe Ryan. So for over 30 years, him and his team have been specializing in offering these hut-to-hut backcountry tours. Um, They're self-guided, and they go to places that you can never reach via vehicle, uh, maybe by a side-by-side or a Jeep. But we chose the Telluride to Moab route, which is via mountain bikes, In addition to mountain biking tours, they also offer hiking tours as well as skiing or snowshoeing tours. Um, When I say tours, I should say they're all self-guided and basically you're just following one hut to the next hut via remote, wild, crazy single track or hiking routes or ski routes. They also have recently started offering gravel grinder tours and fat bike tours, which is pretty cool. So I think I've mentioned it before, but SanJuanHuts.com is your go-to place for more information. So Joe Ryan and his crew are based out of Ridgeway, Colorado, and they have, I believe, 16 mountain huts here and there and everywhere throughout Colorado and Utah, and they have been able to secure special use permits as well as as well as using private land to put their huts. I'm sure you can assume after a long day of riding, huge ascents, super steep descents, and single track, all kinds of technical things, it was always a welcome sight to find the hut. And because they're on private land and special permit areas, they're not the easiest to find and they're not the easiest to get to. And I'll get into that when we get into talking about each day. But the hut themselves, super cute, super small. Uh, You walk in and there are eight beds and camp pads. Uh, They are bunk beds. So So these beds usually take up two walls, and then there are two cabinets that are mouse-proof, and you open them up, and it is like heaven. Anything you want to eat as far as guilty, sugary, salty, I'm talking everything you would want, or everything I would want, 
everything we wanted, whether it was M&Ms or Snickers or Milky Ways or trail mix, nuts, chips, pretty much pretty much everything that you don't normally eat, things you don't normally eat in real life, I would guess. So also in these cabinets, they had all kinds of pasta, uh, dry food that, you know, rice, different ingredients to make sauces. And along with all of that, there were two coolers that were lined with these ice pack things. And in one cooler was food that needed to be refrigerated. So like eggs, bacon, various vegetables, tortilla wraps, butter, those sorts of things. And in the other cooler, which was also lined with ice pack, were drinks. So I think the only non-alcoholic drinks were like seltzer water, Coke, Sprite. I think that was it. And then there were dozens of options as far as beer goes. So a lot of it was Colorado-based brewery beers. And then there were a few options for wine, canned wine, which I'll also get into a little bit later. And the rule was when you take something out, then underneath all the bunks were more cans of beverage and you would replace whatever you took out and put it back in. And in addition to everything that I mentioned, there were also cooking utensils, plates, bowls, coffee cups, I think I mentioned spices. And then outside the hut, they had these five gallon jugs of drinkable water we were encouraged to limit ourselves to two gallons of water per person. And that did include if we washed dishes, if we prepared food, if we drank it ourselves, all of that good stuff. And we were really mindful of water use because the huts are only replenished about every 16 to 24 riders. So that means that there may be people coming after us and we did not want to abuse any of the items that were available to us. Also in the hut was a wood stove, which we did not use uh, due to fire bans. And the temperature, at least when we were awake, never really got that cold. So it didn't seem like it was necessary to start a fire inside the hut. There were also two propane burners available so that we could cook our food. Outside of the hut, there was a composting toilet, and this was a pretty interesting setup. They had it about, I don't know, 10 feet up in the air, and you would go do your business, and the things that came out of your body would fall down about, I don't know, 8 to 10 feet into a vat of sawdust. So after you completed your whatever you were doing, then you were required to put sawdust on top of what you just did so that uh, the smell wasn't bad and it could be composted. I would describe the huts as really well put together. I mean, it's obvious that the San Juan Huts people have nailed down their system. The huts seemed like they were sealed up pretty well and we only had a mouse problem the first night and we definitely earned it because we chose not to wash our dishes until the next morning. So all of our dishes were piled up in the sink and I did not hear the little critters until, I don't know, probably 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And I thought it was maybe whoever was in the bunk above me was like scratching 
their sleeping bag in their dreams or something. And then when I heard the guy next to me jump up and say, it's crawling on my arm, then I knew what was going on. So I don't think any of us really slept after that point and the mice were having a heyday. I mean, they were having a blast. So lesson learned, that was the only night we had creatures in our hut because we were smart enough to we were smart enough to wash dishes and get all food sealed up before we went to sleep. If you follow me on Instagram or YouTube, I have tons of photographs of what the huts look like inside and out. And also I posted some videos of the trip, which include views of the hut inside and out. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Okay, enough about the hut system. Let's get down to the nitty gritty of what Telluride to Moab was all about. And I can summarize this trip into one word. And when I say this word, it's in all caps and my eyes are really wide. And that word is extreme. The Telluride to Moab mountain bike adventure trip was extreme. Now keep in mind, me, Murphology, aka Murph, I am not an avid mountain biker. I got my first full suspension bike in 2020. Uh, which we all know 2020 has been quite a year with COVID. And here in Iowa, we had a hurricane called a derecho that ruined all of our mountain bike trails. Um, Also, when I have been practicing mountain biking, it's not with a huge cliff. It's not a mountainside. It's not hardcore gravel and sand. It's typically man-made bike trails with a few roots here and there and a rock here and there. So I guess what I'm trying to say is everything about this trip was extreme because I just wasn't prepared. And I am sorry to say I'm not a huge mountain biker. So with that said, it was still a fabulous trip. I'm glad I went. But the extremes go further than just the actual event. It was extreme ascents, it was extreme descents, it was extreme sleeping, it was extreme elevation, it was extreme terrain, all of it. Have I gotten my point across? I think I have. So with that said, let's go through each day. I'm going to give you just some highlights and hopefully you can be entertained and decide if you want to do the San Juan Hut trip. So day zero, we arrived, Marty and I were in his RV, and we arrived in Grand Junction, Colorado. Our hosts were Matt and Kelly Anderson, shout out to the Andersons. Uh, We stayed there, night zero, had a good meal, caught up with all our friends. There were eight of us total, and we woke up day one, ready to roll. We loaded up all the mountain bikes in Matt's truck and headed off to Telluride, Colorado. So my first major bout of anxiety was that when we packed all the bikes into the back of Matt's truck, we had to take all the bags off. So of course I had zip tied some of them. I had straps on some of them. I'm starting back at zero stuff on my bike when we arrive in Telluride. So we 
get all the bikes out, get all the bags, and then it's kind of a scramble to put your bike back together so that it's ready to go on this seven-day adventure. And uh, got all my bags on, went for a tiny test ride, and my back bag is dragging on my tire. It was not like that during practice sessions, so I had to calm myself down and figure out what was wrong, got it fixed, and we took off for a probably quarter of a mile ride to the gondola. And second bout of anxiety was this gondola was moving and as it came around you had like five seconds to figure out how to get your bike on these hooks and jump in the gondola and boom you are heading up the side of a mountain. So luckily I played the can you help me with the person who was working and they were able to get my bike and Marty's bike on the same gondola so we were able to take the same one up and then oh my gosh my heart was beating so fast because I'm thinking to myself this is it I am going up a gondola into the mountains and here we go So we finish the gondola ride, get our bikes off of the hooks successfully, take one more look at our gear, make sure everything's attached correctly, and boom, we are hitting the single track, we are going down, we are going faster than I'm comfortable with, there are rocks, there are trees, there, we're in the mountains, oh my gosh, I definitely saw OMG in my brain many times, again in all caps. So uh, make it through the single track. I don't. I think it was maybe only two or three miles, and it spit us out onto a highway for a while. Cruise down the highway, and we end up at the base of the Telluride Airport, which was an amazing photo opportunity. And I kept thinking to myself, Telluride, Colorado, why do they have an airport, and why are there so many? like corporate jets that come in and out of Telluride. Well, I did find out uh, after my adventure, we were out for beers with a friend in Montrose, Colorado. And he said, there's all kinds of famous people that live near Telluride. So uh, I probably went by some famous people homes, never even noticed or looked or saw because I was so focused on not crashing in the gravel or the rocks or off the side of the mountain. So most of the rest of the day on day one was on Last Dollar Road, which was gravelly, rocky, sandy, super, super steep terrain. Um, We saw a couple signs that said cars not recommended. So that can tell you a little bit about the terrain. Steep doesn't quite define the terrain. It was just crazy. Uh, We definitely all walked our bikes for several miles. And that last, I think it's described as the last one-eighth mile, was way more than a hike-a-bike. It was a, my, both my hands got cramped from pushing the brakes so hard. And basically, I was leaning on the bike. I would release the brakes, push the bike forward two or three feet, put the brakes back on, and then get my footing, because it was huge rocks, and repeat that process till I got to the top. But boy, was it worth it because at the last dollar hut, the views were amazing of the San Juan Mountains. There was a sign on the hut that said 10,940 feet. Uh, 
So we were way high up there and we could all feel the altitude for sure. But day one was amazing. I already told you about uh, our mice that visited us in the morning, but we earned that. So there it is, day one. I guess I should also say as far as mileage goes, it couldn't have been more than 15 miles. It was definitely a short day, but that was probably due to the altitude and how steep it was. And truth be told, my my bike computer stopped probably half a mile or so before we made it to the top. And it was because we were all moving so slow because it was so steep. So I wasn't going fast enough for my computer to stay on. But I did it. I made it to the top. So day two ended up being about 30 miles. We went from the last dollar hut to the Spring Creek hut, and it was advertised that it was going to be about 300 feet of climb, so we were all a little bit thankful because we used new muscles the day before hiking our bike and pushing our bike and lifting our bike up, not to mention like my hands were so cramped from squeezing the brake so tight. So anyway, our 300 feet of climb unfortunately turned into about 2,000 feet of climb over that 30 miles. And it was mostly gravel, rocky roads, ranch country, I would describe it as. Uh, This is when we first experienced cows randomly on the road or on the side of the road or just hanging out. Uh, It's definitely like a free range area. Cows can kind of go wherever they want to go. And they were as curious about us as we were about them. So we were probably three or four miles from the hut. We had split into two groups. And the group I was in one of the guys found like a pipe coming out of a rock and decided that he was going to take a quick shower. As he was doing that, a pickup truck came by and said, hey, 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 don't drink that. That is not drinkable water. Um, But I guess you can bathe in it. Just make sure you don't consume any of it. So at that point, I decided I did not need a shower out of that pipe. And For some reason, Marty and I thought that we could proceed forward and figure out where the hut was, even though neither one of us had map of where to go. And of course, phones weren't working. But still, we decided, okay, it's a right turn and a right turn. We should be right there. So we make our right turn and our right turn. And then there's no hut. And my biggest fear came true. We were lost I just, it was my biggest fear on the whole trip is that I would get dropped and I would get lost. And now here we were, day two, lost. So we went forward, I don't know, maybe a half a mile, three-fourths of a mile, couldn't see anything. And then we went backwards uh, half a mile or three-fourths mile, hoping that we would run into the group that we left at the pipe taking a shower, did not find them either. And remember, the huts are kind of, you know, off the beaten path because they're on private land. So uh, I may have said the F word a few times. I'm like, crap, what are we going to do? Well, luckily, there were some hunters on their four wheelers. And I asked Marty to ask them if they happened to know where the hut was. And he asked them and they said, Oh, yeah, go through the first set of cattle gates. And then on to the second set of cattle gates. And after you go through that, the hut will be on the left. Oh my God, rejoice. So we did that. It was actually probably a mile and a half. So we would not have found it on our own for sure. 
We got past the second cattle gate, went a little bit further, and there was a bright orange helmet laying on the ground. And I knew we had found the hut. And as we're going down the path to the hut, here comes Katie, sweet Katie, had taken all the bags off her bike, and she had made a sign that said Murph. And she was on her way down to an intersection to tape up the sign in case we came upon it and knew to turn. Thank you so much, Katie, for doing that. So uh, that was our excitement for day two. And once we calmed down from that, I needed a drink. So speaking of needing a drink, uh, I should back up a little bit. So we were all given the option to buy beer packages. And each beer package gave you three drinks per day, three alcoholic drinks per day. So some of us bought multiple beer packages, having a couple beers when we got to the hut each day, maybe having a couple more before bed, and then maybe packing a couple beers for stops along the way the next day. So day two arrives, I'm calming down from my big adventure of being lost, and everyone's kind of in the same boat. They're like, gosh, do we really want to craft beer that's not really cold? It just didn't seem as refreshing. So somebody discovered this (laughs) Chardonnay canned wine called Butter, and so we decided let's have one of these as one of our beer package beers today to kind of, you know, get that edge off. Fast forward to the end of the night, we drank all the butter that was available to us in our beer packages. It was hilarious. Now, I don't know if I found a can of butter today. I would actually drink it. I'd be curious to try it, but man, that second day, they tasted delicious. A quick interruption to tell you this week's sponsor is Thirsty Pigs, a full-service mobile event company offering beer, wine, spirits, plus catering for any indoor or outdoor event. Check out more at thirstypigs.com. Now back to the show. So after a mediocre night of sleep, day three starts. We ended up having amazing pancakes for breakfast and bacon for those who eat bacon. Uh, Ahead of us was about 35 miles and I think about 2,500 feet of climb uh, through the LaSalle Mountains. It was mostly forest, dirt roads, beautiful, beautiful day. There are these crazy rock formations. They're kind of like flat rocks. Uh, At our hut that night, there was this huge field of these rocks, like almost like a football field. It was just beautiful. Um, We ended our day at the Columbine Hut, but before we got to the Columbine Hut, we were told to go to a spring, which was basically another pipe sticking out of rocks, but this time it was water that was drinkable. We were able to fill up our water bladders, we were able to wash some clothes, wash our bodies. Uh, Man, that felt good, even though that water was so cold. Anyway, The most memorable thing about that night was the stars. I mean, we were out in the middle of nowhere at the Columbine Hut, and it was so beautiful. The stars were so bright. We could see the Milky Way. Uh, Somebody had an app on their phone that would would tell us all the constellations, so we had a good time checking out all the stars. I do not think anybody drank any butter that night. We had had our fill the night before, but... 
uh, it sure was a fun night. So day four uh, was the exciting day where we would be ending at the Graham Ranch. And at the Graham Ranch, they have a shower house. So we were going to get our first shower of the week, which a uh, reminder, this is day four. So this day was a little bit longer, about 36 miles and another 24, 2,500 feet of climb through the, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but the Uncompagre mountains and into a plateau. So again, beautiful day, lots of like ranch type environment, lots of hills, lots of steep climbs and steep descents. And we ended the day with showers and met our host, Tam. He was an amazing character, rancher. The guys took turns axe throwing and we did some exploring, saw some horses and basically all kinds of ranch stuff. So day five started out with a great breakfast of French toast and coffee for those who drink coffee. Uh, We left the ranch and Tam allowed us to go through his horse fields. So we had specific instructions on which gates to close and open and lock. And so we had to follow horse trails to get to our route that morning. It was so beautiful. Again, uh, lots of single track that day. Uh, We did some major hike a bike straight up these mountains lots of jagged rocks. I don't know how anybody could ever bike up those. And we get to these crazy high areas and then you'd see cow pies. How in the heck does a cow get up here? And then I'd go around a corner and I have to go through some water crossings and there would be three or four cows just standing there on this mountainside. I I don't know. I'm still amazed by it. So as we get through this crazy day of crazy uphill pushes, crazy downhill, gravel. I had to walk downhill several times because I was so afraid I was going to slide off the side of the mountain if I got going too fast. But anyway, our reward was getting to the town of Gateway. And this was our first chance of finding a gas station. And I know that it sounds funny, but going into a gas station just felt like a little bit more of real life. And so I go into the Gateway gas station, I think it was called the Country Store, and I got the weirdest combination. I got chocolate milk, an energy drink, a Powerade, and pickles. I don't know. They all sounded wonderful and something I didn't have access to. So I got that. I think I ate it all outside of the gas station. Uh, We also had cell service here. So we all went through a phase where we were deep into our phones, but we quickly grew tired of it. And eventually everyone turned off their phones again. I guess we didn't need it as much as we thought we did. So after leaving the gas station, we went about a mile to get to our hut. And at this hut, we are definitely getting closer to Utah. So the terrain has changed. It's more canyons, huge rock formations, and we were right next to a river. So we all took off for the river to cool off, rinse off, just hang out. It was it was really cool. It was very refreshing. And then that night, a couple of the guys, shout out to Craig and Jesse, made tacos for dinner. Oh my gosh, that was so good. So good. So day six started by us going back to the gas station. I had another energy drink, super excited about that. And before long, we were at the Colorado-Utah border. Now, 
Tam at the ranch had warned us about the steep, steep, steep descents and that we should be checking our brakes and that if you have mineral oil in your brakes, you'll start smelling them and then you know you need to stop and let your bike cool off. And he was right. I'm talking the sketchiest roads I've ever gone downhill on. And I did look at my bike computer and saw that I was going 35 miles an hour at one point and huge anxiety. I can't believe I was going that fast. And then I came to find out that a couple of the people in our group were going almost 50 miles an hour on their bike on gravel. Crazy stuff. Anyway, we made it to our hut early and we had extra time on our hands. And so the guys decided to build ramps and were doing jumps and stuff outside of our hut. It was a really nice, relaxing evening at the LaSalle hut. And we knew it was also our last night. So it made it a little bit more enjoyable. We probably stayed up a little bit later, maybe had a few more beers than we have in the past. uh, But we knew the next day was it. And so day seven starts. This was our final ride into Moab. And it was advertised as the beautiful descent into Moab. Yay, it's going to be all downhill. We had 6,000 feet of descent. And again, lots of brake checks. It was a little bit terrifying in my opinion, but that's back to my word I keep describing this trip as extreme. Uh, I think I hit 38 miles an hour. I was being very conservative on my bike, so I'm sure the guys were going much, much faster. But in addition to this huge descent, we also ended up having to do, I think we clocked it at 80 minutes of climb. Uh, Luckily, it was on pavement, which was good, but I was in my lowest gear, and it was just a grind. We just, you just keep moving forward. You didn't want to stop. You didn't want to walk your bike. You just no snack breaks. We just grinded it out. Um, But the reward at the top, we uh, had Matt's wife meet us so that we could take all the gear off our bikes. And from there, it was the single track, which I think it's called the enchilada porcupine rim trail, the whole enchilada, the half enchilada, I don't remember. Um, But anyway, it's world renowned and everybody goes there to mountain bike on it and we were going to do it. And by we, I was going to do just four or five miles of it and then break off and then take the dirt roads into Moab. So this five miles on the enchilada or the porcupine rim trail, whatever it's called, were crazy, completely crazy. The drops looking off into hundreds of feet of drop was just mind-blowing. I definitely walked more than I rode, and I saw tons of other people doing the same. I did watch Matt Anderson's video that he did on YouTube. You can probably find it. I think it's called the lower half of the enchilada. I'm so glad that I didn't bike the whole thing because it was so scary to watch, so scary to live through, Um, but I did it. So we split off and ended up being four of us that decided to do the road into town, which was still pretty extreme as far as gravel and sand and steep. And we ended up getting caught. We were about four miles from Moab and we ended up getting caught in a sandstorm, which turned into a rainstorm. Uh, We had to take shelter at like a bathroom house 
And uh, we eventually made it into town with a little bit of sprinkles going on, met up with our crew, and then went to the end of the Porcupine Rim Trail to meet the rest of the gang. And boom, we were done. It was such an amazing week with such amazing people. And Kelly was waiting for us at the bottom with a cooler of ice-cold Coors Lights. Now, to some, that may not sound like the best beverage after a seven-day trip, but after a week of drinking lukewarm craft beers, beers you've never had before, canned wine, warm Cokes, having something super cold and not very heavy was the perfect beverage to end such an epic adventure. I wanted to give a quick shout out to the bicycle that I used for this trip. I had the Cannondale Scalpel SE as my bike of choice for this wonderful trip. Uh, Super, super awesome bike, way more bike than I have capabilities for, but that probably was a good thing so that I could survive this trip. It has 115 millimeters of travel in the rear and 120 millimeters in the front. Uh, It does have a dropper post, but unfortunately, I have such a small frame bike that I wasn't able to use the dropper post. I had to put one of my bags on the back, and there just wasn't enough clearance to utilize the dropper post while riding. Um, Also, I went with 27.5 inch by 2.4 tires, uh, used stands tubeless. I really have zero complaints about this bike, except that it's so small, but that's nothing to do with the bike that has everything to do with me but loved the bike Uh, I fell zero times but that's probably due to how conservative I was while on the bike anyway shout out to Cannondale and the Scalpel SE and then as far as gear goes uh, unfortunately I ordered bags gosh probably almost three months before this adventure was to take place, and they did not make it in time. I assume because of COVID and the fact that most manufacturers were running low on inventory because everyone else was doing bike adventures as well. So I ended up having to piece together some not-my-first-choice type options, but they worked fine. Uh, For the back, I ended up with a Revelate bag that I already owned. I did have to add an extra strap to it so that it didn't droop too low and hit my back tire, but that worked great. And then on the front, I had a Topeak anything cage that was on my lefty fork, and I used that for extra water. And then I also had the Topeak front loader handlebar bag. It was pretty sweet because it had like a support harness that was really durable. And then inside of it was a removable waterproof dry bag that I could remove when I got to the hut each night. Could have used a little bit bigger, but whatever. When you have bigger bags, you just bring more crap. In addition to that, I had a feed bag from Moose Treks that I love. In addition to that, I wore a really lightweight backpack that had simple things inside that didn't weigh too much. So overall, I was pretty pleased with the way my bike handled. I wish I would have had the bags that I ordered, but it is what it is. And I wish I was taller so that my frame would be bigger. As far as what I brought along for clothing and sleepwear, I think I mentioned that I epically failed 
at bringing warm enough sleeping bag, um, I made the assumption since we'd be sleeping in a hut that had a stove that it would be nice and cozy and warm. So all I brought was a big Agnes wool sleeping bag liner. Well, it ended up being like it felt like wearing a t-shirt. So it was really, really thin and super, super cold. So that stunk big time. Um, I had a bigger water container on my fork and then I had just a normal water bottle in my water bottle cage. And for clothing, I wore one biking outfit and I brought along one additional biking outfit. So either one was on my body hanging on the line drying or in my bag ready to wear. And then I brought warm things like an extra warm long sleeve shirt, a jacket, extra long pants, wool socks. Uh, I did have waterproof socks that I never wore. I brought a hat and gloves. And I did bring one outfit to change out of when I wasn't wearing biking clothes. So it was like a skirt a shirt and compression socks, I believe. I did bring an extra pair of sandals that were extremely lightweight and it was just so nice to get out of the bike shoes every day. And then finally, I brought along just a t-shirt and shorts to wear to bed. But I was so cold every night, I was usually wearing my long pants and jacket and gloves and hat. But again, that was my fault. I think that's about it. I guess I did have one bag with electronic stuff. I did bring a GoPro, so I had some extra batteries. I had a battery pack that was solar charged. Um, of course, I had quite a few cords, one for GoPro, one for my bike computer, and then one for my phone. Um, but that might be it. I had one other small bag that had uh, essential tools in it and a patch kit and such. But I think that's about all I had. That wraps up this week. A few fun tips to pass along if you plan to take an off-grid bikepacking adventure. Bring a warm sleep system. I failed miserably at this. Only pack what you promise yourself you'll wear. Prepare for all seasons of weather. Take more photos than you typically do. Download your maps. Again, I failed miserably at this one. And lastly, bring earplugs. Please visit my Instagram page for photos of each day, and on the Murphology YouTube page, you can catch short videos from each day. Of course, if you have a topic or a name of a cyclist you find interesting, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. I'll leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of Murphology. This quote comes from me. You really can do anything you put your mind and body up to, especially when you know the only way out is to rely on yourself to move forward. Think about it. Think about it.